Hello, everybody, and welcome to Take the Stage Opera podcast. We're going to explore the topic of making tough decisions. You know the kind. Should I work with this teacher or that one? Which rep should I be singing right now? Should I pursue a career in the States or in Europe? You know, those million-dollar questions that everyone has an opinion about, and you feel like you have to make the right decision, and that can be very stressful. Well, today we have a singer-songwriter who is also a life coach, and she's going to teach us how to make decisions based on our personal values so that we can avoid decision fatigue, perfectionism, and fear while figuring out our careers. And we'll play one of her original songs at the end of the podcast that deals with some of these very same issues. So stick around for that. Is everyone saying no to your singing career? Well, we here at Take the Stage Opera Podcast say toy, toy, toy. Find out what is holding you back so you can stop waiting in the wings and go out and get your standing ovation. There are no forbidden topics here, so get your ticket and find your seat. In Boca Lupo. Today we're talking with a life coach who also happens to be a singer. It's I feel like we found a unicorn. Uh, yeah, for <laughs> real. This is a magical being. <laughs> so I um so our life coach that we we have today, we've actually talked about her briefly before on another podcast yeah. episode. Her name is Emily, and she was my first voice teacher. <laughs> so cute. I know, and um like. She seriously is one of the two most influential people for my voice Wow! because, you know, I was in men's choir in high school and she, well, I don't remember if I came up to her first. She heard you. You're freaking loud. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, hey, I think I asked her if I could take voice lessons and she welcomed me into her studio with open arms. And every time I would knock on her door, she'd sing, hello. And like... Every single person that I knew that took lessons from her, we just all adored her. So, Well, welcome, Emily. Thank you so much for coming on today. Well, thank you. I have such fond memories of student teaching choir with you guys <laughs> and teaching you voice lessons, Evan. I just remember like you always had this amazing work ethic plus this big, warm heart and passion for music. And I just always knew that you would be unstoppable. So, Thank you. He still has that. <laughs> For sure. And I've gotten louder. Yeah. Not much. <laughs> well, yeah, My that's goodness. that's what you learn as a vocalist, right? How to optimize all that sound. How to resonate. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Without microphones. So, Emily, you're a life coach now. And we just kind of, for anyone who's not familiar with what life coaches do or what that means, could you give us kind of a rundown? Yeah, for sure. So, basically, a life coach guides people from where they are to where they want to be. Um, Specifically, I work with people who want to say no to worry, overwhelm, the fear of not being enough, and other self-defeating mindsets that are keeping them from reaching their goals. You need to work with me right now. (laughs) (laughs) Let's do life coaching right now. (laughs) You're identifying with the self-defeating mindset idea? Very much. (laughs) You have the inner gremlins, the evil roommate in your head? Yes. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's so real. Yeah, you're not alone. It's very common. And it's funny how many things we believe 
that we don't know we believe. We act on these beliefs that we don't even realize. And then, you know, with life coaching or with other tools, it's like you start to pick those apart and go, well, that's not true. Why on Mm. earth would I be telling myself that, right? But yes. And so that's kind of the magic of my work. I love um, seeing people have like major aha moments that transform the way they think. Because if you can change the way you think, you can change the way you feel. And mm. how you feel really impacts how you show up in the world, right? And so yes. it's so cool to change your mindset and then feel something different because you changed your thought, right? You, you started believing something that wasn't distorted in a funhouse mirror, but that was actually true. Yes. Yeah. Very much so. So um, we've decided to talk about some issues that opera singers deal with and how we make decisions. So it can be really hard when you're dealing with so many people's different opinions about what we should do, what we should sing, yes. what we should look like, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. So we need to have a clear vision for ourselves so that we can intentionally say yes or say no to the things that come along to us. Yeah, so this is going to be really great. And I understand you're going to help us understand some of the obstacles um, that we face as we try to make some of these tough decisions. You mentioned decision fatigue, perfectionism, and fear. Yes. Mm. Yep, so those are three of the most common that most of us deal with as we're trying to make decisions, what holds us back. Um, And there really are so many decisions just as a human being, right? I mean, the preponderance of choice that we have in this decade right now is greater than ever. Even just what to wear, what to eat, what to watch, what to read, what to listen to. There's just so, so, so many choices, right? Not to mention in a career of like really significant decisions to make. So, um, yeah, I want to talk about those three obstacles and, and hopefully offer some ideas to help us rise above those. Please, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So let's talk about decision fatigue first. Okay. I first heard this term in the book Essentialism, just by Greg McCune. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he's amazing. Love that book. And he says decision fatigue is the phenomenon that the more choices we're forced to make, the more the quality of our decisions deteriorates oh gosh that's interesting i've heard that before like i've heard that if you're standing in a a line like so if i go to zupa's for soup salad sandwiches and i get my soup and salad whatever first and i make all these healthy decisions by the end after i've made all these decisions and they have a hundred desserts and i look at one dessert and i'm like no i'm being healthy and by the time i get to the end it's harder because my brain is yes. like, look, you made so many good decisions. And then I'm yes. like, hey, I'll buy that one. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I once heard like the, the metaphor that I have in my head is like you wake up every morning with like basically a cup of decision making juice that's full. And okay. throughout the day, you use up that resource. And eventually you get to a point where like it's not that you can't make any more decisions. You're just not going to make them well. They're not going to be <laughs> high quality. And so, you know, think about like. You know, you decide all these different things throughout the day. And then by the end of the day, maybe your kids are fighting. You're trying to have a delicate conversation with your spouse or something. And like, maybe you're sort of used up. Like your ability to yeah. make high quality decisions is like kind of like, you know, running out. Or like why a lot of people end up eating junk food late at night. Just like you yes. said, it's like, well, I, uh, right. You just kind of have exhausted it. And so a lot of us suffer from decision fatigue. It's just like, I've just made so many choices. Like I'm tired. 
I don't, I don't really yeah. want to, right? And so then you just make a cruddy choice because you don't really want to face it. <laughs> yeah. So one really great way to combat decision fatigue, and this probably sounds like obvious and simple, except, you know, common sense isn't always common practice, right? Like a lot of times right. we know things, but we don't actually do them. So here's the thing. In order to combat it, you just need to schedule time to think. Hmm. <laughs> right? Like that's not what a concept. really difficult <laughs> and yet so, so powerful. And probably a lot of us don't do it, right? Schedule time to think. And then you make some of the big decisions in advance. Hmm. When you're in a mode with lots of decision-making juice and you decide ahead of time some of the things that you're going to be making decisions about. So, for example, um, if you were to schedule some time to think, you might sit down with a pen and paper and you would ask yourself questions like, what is my overarching vision for my career? What do I want to accomplish in this season? Right? Get yourself thinking about some of these Oof. big picture. Those mm-hmm. are big questions. <laughs> They're huge, right? And so, yeah. but just just to think about it, to kind of formulate. Um, sure. You could pretend like someone's interviewing you. You could write your answers, type them. Sometimes I will speak into my phone, like as a voice memo, mm. because you know I'm a vocalist, right? I'm very vocal. Sure. Um, and if I'm driving somewhere, even you know, if like ideally, this thinking time is like you're alone in a quiet place and you can like write down but in real life maybe sometimes it's just you're driving and you go you know what let's pretend somebody asked me like what is the very most important thing that I want to be doing this week like then I just talk <laughs> and answer that question then have more clarity about it um so here's an awesome exercise to do when you schedule your time to think which I would highly recommend doing um you take a piece of paper and you draw a line down the middle and you have two columns and at the top you write in this season of my life And then on one side, you say, I'm saying yes to. And on the other side, you say, I'm saying no to. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So tell me what's coming to your mind as you hear that. Well, I just, what came to my mind is. um, More voice students. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Saying yes or no to that. (laughs) No. I have so many. Yeah. That can be tricky. Or like I had. A role offer last week that didn't feel ideal because the Mm. rehearsal process was just going to be too much, too Mm. much travel for, you know, it just wasn't really going to fit into my, what I felt was my values right now. And so I had to decide like, oh, do I just take a role just because there's a role available and Mm. that's hard to come by or yeah. Yeah. Especially in times of COVID. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and you can't always make, you know, it's not like that decision you could have made in advance, like in the vacuum of being somewhere by yourself. But if you brainstorm and you kind of think through, well, in general, and I like to do it with emotions too. Like I'm saying no to guilt in this season of my life, right? Like, you know, when I was a young mom and I started to realize like, my gosh, I feel guilty all the time. Like guilty that my house Mm. isn't clean. Guilty that I didn't take dinner to the neighbor. Guilty that it's like, Okay, time out. Like, I am doing the very best I can. Like, I'm creating human beings and bringing them into the world and keeping them alive. Like, I'm saying no to guilt in this season yeah. of my life, right? Like, I don't need to. Good and for so, you. or sometimes, you know, we can say no to, um, gosh, I'm trying to think. Uh, 
Well, so yeah, there's emotions you can say no to. There's types of commitments that you can say no to. You can, maybe, maybe it's like, this is a season of rest and I'm saying no to staying up past midnight, no matter what it is. Or I'm saying no to, right? There's all kinds of things. But usually if you sit down and start writing, it becomes pretty clear. So Most then it's like you're, you're getting your values out on paper in a yes. time when you're calm, when you can think yes. about it, when you feel capable, when you feel ready to make decisions. And then you kind of already have those decisions made. Absolutely. And then wow. if you have, so then, you know, this role is an opportunity or whatever other opportunities come your way, you can take out that piece of paper and say, where does this fit? Like, is this, wow. is this more toward this yes column that I did? Or is it more toward the no? And then it just, it's a helpful tool that makes it not so overwhelming to try to make a big decision because you've already in a moment of clarity when your juice was all the way up, you know, you kind of gave yourself a guide. So it just kind of gives you a compass. Is that something that you would do regularly? Like, do you schedule that every couple of months or is that? Yeah, I would say... Because, you know, life is in seasons, right? And sure. so for me, I just recently did it um, because it's like, man, my life is so different right now with all my kids doing mm. school at home and like everything is at home and everyone is at home all the time. And mm -hmm. so there are certain things that I've got to approach differently, you know? And so I, yeah, I mean, some people might do it once a year. You could do it every mm -hmm. six months. You could do it every semester if you're in kind of a student mode. But I would say periodically, it's a really, really great thing to just evaluate. I love that. That's a great tool. And like you said, maybe I couldn't make decisions in advance, but I'm thinking of this role and being like, okay, for my voice and for my progress for the next three months or six months or a year or whatever, I do. I kind of know what I want to be able to accomplish, what I need to be able to accomplish. And then if an opportunity comes along, I'm like, does this fit into the vision that I have Yes. for myself? You know, and a lot of people, like you probably already know a lot of this in your head without writing it down. And you probably use this kind of thing even like intuitively, right? Without ever setting aside time to write it. But I think it does clarify it even more when you put it in writing and it mm -hmm. makes it more more clear and more powerful for you um so that you know this practice maybe maybe you've already sort of used it intuitively but also then you're like you said you're not wasting so much energy making the decisions a hundred times yes you kind of sat down and made the decision uh, basically right and then yep and then in the moment with a lot of things it it feels like you have something to lean on besides just like the emotion that you have in this <laughs> moment, which is not always reliable because maybe you're tired or maybe you're jealous or maybe mm -hmm. you're frustrated or maybe you have these emotions that aren't necessarily the truth. But in that moment, you can kind of go, well, what did I think about this when I was like emotionally stable? <laughs> when I didn't have these other like human feelings, like yeah. what were my priorities? And sometimes that can be really helpful. It's almost like you give yourself the gift of an objective a bystander mm. opinion about your own life because you you created this guide when you were in a, a calm, clear space. Good. Great. Okay, let's transition. I'm really excited to talk about perfectionism because one of the um, kind of affirmations that I've been telling myself is I don't owe who someone else or myself. I don't owe anyone perfection. Mm. I think that about my singing. Like, I don't owe you perfection. I don't owe me perfection. I, I, 
but I yes. struggle with this. So I want to talk about that. Well, yeah. So I, I love to, I mean, it's kind of a joke, but it's actually really true that I'm a recovering perfectionist. <laughs> You're me, still recovering. Huh? I'm still, yeah, I'm in recovery, which is going to be like a lifelong <laughs> process. But I mean, here's my background. I took 10 years of intense classical piano lessons from a husband and mm -hmm. wife who both graduated from Juilliard. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I practiced like two hours a day and I was not one of the advanced ones in the studio. There were kids who were practicing five hours, six hours a day. We, we competed at state competitions. I mean, it was really, really intense, right? So that was a standard of perfection that I was trying to achieve, right? Sure. I majored in classical voice and you know how it is. You've got vocal juries and people are actually like, there's a rubric and they're checking the boxes and this is what <laughs> you have to do. And while I love the musical experience that I had and while it was so much deeper and richer than just like somebody checking off a yes. rubric, right? Yeah. Like, of course. But I do feel like I fell into this mindset that like, that is the purpose of life is to like have a rubric and to like measure up to it to like oh. a standard of perfection. And I loved like acing a test or like getting a hundred percent on something, you know? And at some point in the real world, when you're not a student anymore, it's like, Oh, <laughs> it just doesn't add up. Right. It's like not right. a joyful way to live, to like try to measure yes. up to impossible standards. Well, once you become an adult, I feel like, First of all, no one really tells you you did a great job anyway, like especially right. your kids. Your kids are never like, great job, dad. Totally. <laughs> so you'll never feel like you did anything perfectly again. So that's also not helpful. Right. Yeah. So in terms this is of why perfectionism. I'm not sorry, what'd you say? This is why I'm not having kids. <laughs> well, I feel like... Um, there are a lot of ways to define perfectionism. One way that I view it is trying to have it all, do it all to a superior standard. And here's kind of like the kicker, being unwilling to accept trade-offs. So a perfectionist is going to have a really hard time saying like, okay, I'm going to make this choice and go big here, which means there's this other thing that like may not really happen well or may not happen at all. But I'm okay with it because I'm excited about going big over here. Right. Right? So it's, I don't know if I worded that correctly, but that's a big discovery for me that when I am like indulging in perfectionism, one of the elements that's usually present for me is that there's trade-offs that I'm not willing to accept. That's like the FOMO. All. I'm, I'm yeah. afraid of missing out on all of these other things that I should be. Yes. Should be doing or shoulds. whatever. Perfectionism yeah. is also really connected with shoulds as well. Wow. Yeah. And so kind of the, the idea there in terms of overcoming perfectionism in decision making is that instead of trying to find a solution that eliminates all the problems and pleases everyone and makes everything <laughs> perfect, choose which problem you can live with and accept that your decision won't be perfect. So, so the question to be asking instead of like, how can I have it all and do it all and be perfect and please everyone would be, which problem do I want? Do I want this problem mm. or do I want this problem? Because there's going to be problems either way. Right. And, oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. And so that's, I feel like that's really empowering because then you're not frustrated that this decision resulted in some problems. It's like, well, yeah, of course it's, yeah, every decision has problems. I chose these ones instead of these ones. It's accepting that there's no matter what, there's a problem that you're going to have to face. That's just life. Yeah. And being okay with it. Okay, so you kind of talked about this in your own life before we started recording, but about you being a musician 
and kind of figuring out how that fit into your life. Yeah. And I feel like this fits in really nicely with this idea of what you should or shouldn't be doing, the trade-offs. Could you talk about that? Sure. Yeah, so um, I originally envisioned myself, um, so I'm a singer-songwriter, and so Mm -hmm. that was kind of my... My dream and my vision was, okay, I'm going to be like writing music and recording albums and that's kind of what I want to do. And, and I knew that I wanted to really help people find more joy in their life and that that is kind of, that's my passion. And, um, most of the music that I write is kind of centered around that in some way of, you know, helping people find a spiritual connection or changing the way they think so that they are feeling more joy. Mm -hmm. But the journey has been interesting because and of course, imperfect, right? Um, <laughs> that for me, well, yeah, I mean, first of all, I have four kids. And so having babies and young children and trying to navigate that and figure out how much time am I spending toward building this idea and this dream and writing music and how much time am I, you know, spending with my kids. But anyway, long story short, I, I just didn't quite... Just wasn't quite right trying to be a musician. I had recorded a couple of songs and I loved the recording experience, but mm-hmm. it just it just wasn't coming together. Um, trying to be a musician in that way in that industry, and what finally like the puzzle pieces started coming together for me when I discovered life coaching and I felt how passionate I was about these principles and this and the ideas and thought work and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then over time, it became oh, this is it. Like, I want to be a life coach who also uses music in, in what I do, but um, actually not like in the music industry, like in the life coach industry with music attached to it. Um, so yeah, but that, I mean, there's there's a lot of trial and error, which is not a perfectionist's favorite thing to do because mm-hmm. error feels like failure and failure is like a four-letter word to a perfectionist, right? It's like, well, I'm not allowed to fail and I'm a bad person if I fail and I shouldn't ever make mistakes. And so, yeah, I, I see that really differently now than I did even five or six years ago. It's like, how could you possibly accomplish anything worthwhile if you don't fail like a bunch of times? Yeah. Wow. So this, this guy that I love, um, Dr. Robert Burns, he talks about failing joyously. yeah you're gonna fail but like go ahead and fail joyously and then learn and move on and so yeah I feel I feel like the the journey the process of things usually isn't cut and dry and it usually involves a lot of trial and error and that that's that's a good sign like error means like hey Mm. you know like was was an Albert Einstein who's like I never failed I just found a thousand things that didn't work yes I'm trying to think was it Albert Einstein or was it Thomas Edison Thomas Edison the light bulb one of the two. We're not All right, scientists. somebody needs to fact check me. <laughs> no, I love it. Yeah, I heard something this week when I was listening to a documentary. I know you don't listen to documentaries, but when you're doing dishes, sometimes you listen to documentaries. <laughs> Only you do. <laughs> it was like a, a new minimal, minimalism documentary on Netflix. And the guy said something that like really shook me. He was like, I needed to look at my life and evaluate for myself what success was for me. Mm. And I was like, wait, I get to do that. I get to look at my own life. And if success for me is different than my original vision or than what someone else wants for me or 
maybe I thought I should be a singer songwriter full time, but now I like once I decide what success is for me, it might look slightly different, and it's for me. Yeah. And how cool is that? You get to decide. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And I feel like for me, one of the things that, I don't know, I've just done over the last eight or nine years of my life is tried to really shorten the list of this like rubric that I have in my head that I'm trying to measure up to. That's been something I've struggled with a lot is like this feeling of not being enough and not measuring Mm -hmm, up. mm -hmm. And so as I've like fleshed that out and had conversations with myself in my head and been like, so who made that list that you're (laughs) not measuring up with? You know, like, like I literally feel like I used to picture somebody like sitting in my living room with a clipboard. Like watching my day and being like, like you didn't do this or you did do that, or you, you know, and it's still, it's just not enough, not enough, not enough, no matter what you did. And then I would ask myself like, okay, so what would have been enough? Like, look at this day. You tell me like what more, you know, anyway. And so I started really challenging myself to be like, how about we just toss the clipboard, Emily? Like there's nobody in your living room. It's just you. Yes, and ma'am. And you're making this up. And so... How about if the only thing on that list is like finding joy? And then that was how I measured success. That's how I defined success was like, how much joy did I find today? And that was so flexible and it could look a million ways. And it could be like, I found joy because I was listening to a podcast while I mopped my floor. Or Mm -hmm. I found joy because my house was a complete mess and I was having so much fun with my kids. Like, And then it just released me from this feeling of like, trying to serve all these masters and do all this stuff and measure up in all these categories. It was just like, you know what? I just want to find joy. How can I make it fun? How can I contribute? How can I show up in a way that is joyful to the other human beings that I get to interact with? And boy, that's been a life-changing paradigm switch for me. (laughs) That's amazing. That's yeah, that's worth it. Just, just for that. Can you talk to us a little bit more about trade-offs? Yeah, totally. So one thing that I feel like really helps to accept trade-offs, and Evan, you had kind of touched on this a little bit before, is to know your core values. And it's interesting because we say the word values, and of course we all have values, um, but not just like generally, but like very specifically. So I actually have a, a free assessment that I can give you guys, you can put it in the show notes or whatever, but, um, it basically you choose from a list of like 50 values. So you have like achievement, connection, creativity, compassion, generosity, humility, faith, leadership, all these qualities, but you can't just check them all and be like, Oh yeah, I believe all those things. I value everything. I want to be a good person in all these ways. You actually have to uh, rank your top 15 and then you narrow it down to 10 and then you narrow it down to three. Oh, that sounds rough. It is. It's a tricky, tricky. I mean, it actually takes some serious decision making juice, right? (laughs) To be like, whoa, I don't know. Like, how do I? Oh, I mean, I really care about that, but do I care about it more than this, right? Um, And so then once you have those and you write them down and you commit and you say, these are my top core values. Or if you need to choose five instead of three, if that makes you feel better, you can. Oh, we can cheat. That's <laughs> can like cheat. the real artist way of doing things. <laughs> right. Artists or never follow the rules. Or you may say, like, Absolutely you know, not. in relationships with my family, maybe I value this versus in my professional right. life. Like, you know, so there can be some some flow. I mean, there's not it's not black and white. It's just meant to be an exercise, right? That like gets you thinking. Um, 
But the thing is, like, usually we're choosing between two good things in the decisions mm. that are really hard, right? It's not mm-hmm. like, oh, am I going to help my child with homework today or am I going to rob a bank? Like, of course I'm not. Like, you know, Hard decision. But it's good, between good and good. Am I going to yeah. take say yes to this opportunity or this one? Or am I going to, right? And so having your values clarified can really, really help you um, in the same way as the yes or no list. Like in the moment to go, okay, but what really are my values here? Which one of right. these decisions is more in line with these core values that I identified? So let's talk about what this looks like for singers and Mariah, maybe if we could throw out some ideas of decisions we make, when do we have to value mm-hmm. good versus good things in our own career? Or if two different people are saying two different good things that we should mm. be able to do. You know what I mean? Let's let's talk about that for a minute. Um, <laughs> Mariah thing... can do everything perfectly. She's never had any. But... Never. Absolutely not. <laughs> have mastered perfectionism you're not a recovering perfectionist you're just a successful perfectionist (laughs) let me know when you hit the wall i'll be here for you oh i hit it (laughs) i wore sweatpants to work today (laughs) um i have a hard time i think what you were saying earlier with like how everything is gonna have issues i have a hard time like choosing one path, like taking that trade off. Like I don't mind the trade off, but then I like kind of like look back and I'm like, mm. oh, but what if I would have mm. liked that other path better? I have a really hard time with that. Like in roles that you could choose or competitions or teachers. Yeah. Or... yeah. Like this summer I had to give up um, like a virtual gig that Mm. I was a part of. Mm -hmm. I had to give it up because uh, I was too busy with a lot of other things and was really stressed about a lot of things. And so something had to go. And that was the thing I gave up. And I just like, I didn't want to because I really wanted to do it. Mm -hmm. And then I also was like, what's going to happen when I give this up? Like, what if like it gets like really famous and like, you know, and all these things I was like, it's not going to do that. It's just like this group of singers who kind of like got together and, did this thing, but then when they actually, like, did the performance online, they ended up, like, they got an award for it in Broadway World, and I was like, see? Mm. <laughs> like, I was I was just like, dang, like, I should have done it, you know? And yeah. that's what I'm afraid of, is choosing the wrong path, choosing mm. the wrong trade-off. Right. Yeah, and so sometimes I think in those sort of situations, I mean, obviously you can't tell the future. There's no way that you can know mm-hmm. like what the actual <laughs> outcome is going to be. But I do feel like it helps to really cherish what you're saying yes to, even if mm. this other opportunity. So, you know, in your case, if your own mental health or maybe like a relationship that you were focusing on or whatever it was that really helped you to make that decision that was like, I need to focus here then yeah. even when they get that award and you're like, man, that would have been so cool. It's like, yeah, but but look at what you were nurturing. Look at what, like, the focus yeah. on what you were doing. Because, of course, that means there were 25 things you didn't do. But. And that's true. Like, wow. like and I knew that when I gave it up that I was going to appreciate this time that I was giving myself more yeah. than whatever was going to happen in the end. 
you really truly can't have it all. Just mm-hmm. fact of life, you know. Yep. <laughs> and you can argue with reality, and if you do, you you lose, but only every time. <laughs> only every time we believe we can have it all but it's not true so that's kind of the FOMO the fear of missing out yeah what about you Evan (laughs) um I think I've gotten to the point where I feel like I need to make specific decisions based on my voice and my career for where I'm going at like what when should I start singing this role or where should I be when I sing this role who do I audition Mm -hmm. for who do I talk to there's so many of those decisions because it's not the type of job where you just interview and get a job and then you have a job like I have to be making a million decisions every year yeah Mm -hmm. and it can start to feel panicky like you know, my, this teacher said I need to do this, but this teacher mm. said I need to do this. Who do I listen to? And yeah, you, yeah, you have to be able to. That's also hard when you feel like loyalty to certain people. Like you were talking about teachers saying this, do do this. Exactly. And it's like I don't really want to do that. I want to do this other thing, but I feel loyal to this person. Hard decisions. <laughs> yeah. And they are, um, but I do feel like, you know, back to what we're saying, like the best, one of the best ways to approach that kind of decision making is really to get still and to get Mm -hmm. quiet. And I believe each of us, we have the inner resources within ourselves to know what really is right. Um, And whatever your religious or spiritual beliefs are, whatever, whether you believe in meditation or prayer to a higher being or anything like that, like... We really do find inner peace when we get still and when we listen to this inner voice inside the true self that says, you know, hey, or or if you believe in a higher power or whatever. But I just think getting still and getting quiet often brings clarity and peace. Right. So and if I make a decision, I, you know, I have a quiet moment. I make a decision based on the thing that I feel like I value in that moment. Yeah. And then, like you said, I cherish that and I focus on that. You know, I can't fault myself for that. Right. I I made the best decision that I could and I gave myself to that decision. Yeah. The other thing that comes to my mind when you say that, I remember somebody saying, you know, like the feeling of regret and just sort of that that pain as a human being of like, oh, let's say you do have a situation where you tried to value what you wanted, but maybe you don't feel like, well, you know, maybe I guess I wish that I'd made that other choice because that happens sometimes. I heard somebody talk about, you know, like at the airport, how they have those baggage claim carousels Mm -hmm. and they go around and around and around and around. And somebody was saying, like, that's kind of how life is and opportunity. It's like things are going to come around again. So, like, we don't need to stand there and be like, oh, I made the bad choice or I didn't. It's like, you know what? Just something's going to come around. And then that time you can be like, well, I thought I valued this more than this, but I actually found out because of this feeling of regret that I experienced that, like, that wasn't my, right? Like, you can, it's a it's a process and you can learn. There's trial and error again. And if you end up not really happy with a decision that you've made, chalk it up to experience and say, you know what I learned? I learned that I actually care about this more than I care about that. Right. And I didn't know that until I made this decision that I wasn't happy with. So now, next time, I'm going to make a different decision and I'm going to learn oh from that. Gosh. And Right? Doesn't it just release so much pressure? Like, you don't have to be like, I messed up. You just go, cool, I gained some experience by I 
feel like I need like a little pocket Emily <laughs> that I can just carry around with me and be like, whisper some words of wisdom into my into my head. <laughs> That's totally awesome. I'll work on that for you, Evan. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. So, and then finally, the, well, not finally, finally, but of our three main things we were talking about, fear. Yeah. I mean, I think we've touched on this already okay. in a lot of ways, but, and I, I think that fear is really linked to perfectionism because sure. fear of failure, fear of judgment, fear of doing it wrong, fear of doing it perfectly, fear of not measuring up, fear of what other people will think. Like for me personally, mm-hmm. those have all been wrapped up into perfectionism. Maybe someone else would call it something else. Um, but so here's, here's one really great um, way to overcome and kind of face fear that I like. Um, so this is from a book called Feeling Great by Dr. Okay. David Burns. And he calls this the downward arrow technique. Okay, so, so first what you do is you identify the negative thought, right? Because feelings are all caused by thoughts. So if you're mm-hmm. feeling fear, there's a thought that's triggering that. There's something that you're believing that probably isn't true, but you think it is. And so you identify the negative thought. And um, in his book, he actually gives an example of someone with performance anxiety. I don't think it was Ooh. a singer. It was like a public speaker. How fitting. Know? Yeah, right? <laughs> so you know, the negative thought is like, well, the audience will judge me. I'm not captivating. He even says like, I haven't found my voice. I should have found my voice by now and then this point in my you know, career or whatever. So he's got all these thoughts. And then, so David says to him, if that thought were true, what would it mean to you? Why would it be upsetting to you? And you go there. And then that's going to give you a new thought. Well, because it would mean that I'm a failure. Like, okay, well, what, what would that mean? Why would that be upsetting to you? And so this downward arrow, you just keep going. Wow. I've also heard it called follow the fear. So you just keep asking questions. And it's really helpful to write. Or, I mean, this is the kind of thing that you do with a life coach, right? Because it's easier if someone else asks you the questions. But mm-hmm. but you keep going. Well, what would that mean? Why is that a big deal? Like, what does that... And then eventually, layer by layer, you end up at a place where you're like, oh my gosh, that's what I'm afraid of. I didn't know that's what I was afraid mm. of, right? And that's a significant discovery because then, then you hold it up to the light and you yeah. go, this is what I'm telling myself. Is this, is this true? Do I really believe this, right? And so then here's the other thing that I love. He calls this the double standard technique. And so once you figure out like what this really true core fear is, then he says, okay, pretend like you have an identical twin who looks just like you, is just like you, has your same profession, like everything's the same. <laughs> and if you're sitting across from this identical twin and they tell that exact thought to you, what would you say to them? And what's so funny is that most of us would say very kind, supportive, encouraging things mm-hmm. to this identical twin who's struggling, right? Like most of us probably wouldn't be like, well, yeah, you're right. People are going to think you're stupid, so you shouldn't try. Like, of course we would never say that to someone else. Like, why are we saying it to ourselves? And so it's funny. The double standard technique allows you to look at, it again, this objective bystander instead of being so trapped in your own emotions that you can say, oh, no, actually, you know what? I hear you saying that fear, but here's what's really true. And like, actually, here's what people are, you know, or yeah, people might judge you, but like some people will be really, you know, blessed by this contribution that you're making, right? And so then you become sort of the cheerleader for this person who's just like you. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's kind of a beautiful way to face and overcome fear. Yeah. I actually, 
I've talked about this a little bit before in our podcast, but I actually do think of like my inner core self as a different person from Mm. my outer self. And so when I talk to my inner self, not all the time because I am a perfectionist, but when I try and like sit down and actually talk to myself and understand my feelings, I do speak to her in a more encouraging way than Mm. when I just like have these thoughts running through my mind. So, and it's, I mean, I'm getting better at it, Mm -hmm. being nicer to myself, but it is very helpful to think of my inner being as someone else because I'm much nicer to them. And it's cool to unlock, you know, what the, the, the chatter that goes on in your brain Mm -hmm. that it's easy to just not really be aware of it and just accept that as true, but it's, it's a really rewarding practice to challenge those thoughts (laughs) to say, okay, like. Maybe, but maybe not. Like, let's try that on. Let's see if that really holds up in real life. Like, actually, I can find evidence to refute that. Let's let's go a little deeper. Wow. So um, just a couple of questions that we like to ask all of our um, guests. What book would you recommend for us all to read? You've mentioned a couple. Yeah. So is in terms of decision making, if that's the topic that we're focusing on, which we are, I would say essentialism is okay. the best, best book. Um, the subtitle is called The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. Mm-hmm. And so it's just a really mind-bending book about instead of trying to do it all, take time to think and then intentionally do less and do what will make the biggest impact, what will be your highest contribution, rather than just feverishly doing as much as you possibly can. And it's really, really, really valuable to think in that way. In fact, there was a, this is one of my favorite quotes from that book. He says, um, we have been taught from a young age that hard work is the key to producing results. And many of us have been amply rewarded for our productivity and our ability to muscle through every task or challenge the world throws at us. But there's a point where doing less and thinking more will actually produce better outcomes. Uh, yeah, I'm. Boom. I am Mic drop. the machine gun approach. <laughs> My whole life is like, yes, <sighs> I'm gonna do all the things every day, all the time. Mm-hmm. And I also feel like I pride myself on how much I am able to get done in like short periods of time. Right. Oh, I have issues. But it's exhausting. <laughs> it's yeah, exhausting. So, th- I mean, I love the book just because it's. It's so countercultural mm-hmm. that it really causes you to evaluate, whoa, what? You know, and if you really are trying to do something meaningful and you have a vision about it, like instead of going in 25 different directions, what if you just went in one direction? You could make so much progress in that one thing if you were putting all your efforts that way instead of like, oh, I'm going to do this and this and this and this. And you spend the same amount of energy, but you don't get as far. Um, so... Fun question for you. What is your dream role? Opera, musical theater, whatever. Probably Elphaba from Wicked. Yes. Mm -hmm. The song Defying Gravity is just like one of my ultimate favorites. And Mm -hmm. I think it would be so cool to be hooked up to the harness and to be like (laughs) flying around the auditorium and just get that super high note at the end and smoke and all that. So yeah, that that must be my alter ego because... I'm kind of a good witch, but maybe, maybe <laughs> but you are a witch. Deep down, yeah, right. 
I would love to see you do Anastasia. Oh, that would be fun too. Yeah, that's way more of a typecast for like my real personality. <laughs> Let her be what she wants to be. Yes. Evan. No, I want to hear you sing both of them. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Sounds good. Coming right up. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining with us today, Emily. I can't believe like after all these years, we get to have a little reunion on a podcast. Right? It's the best. I love the way this worked out. It's so fun. Bringing people together. Yeah, so I was going to tell you. That whole epiphany about like not wanting to measure up and mm-hmm. that I'm just going to decide to find the joy. Um, actually wrote a song about that. And so if you want to um, share it on the podcast or something, yes. I, can, I can send you. We the... do. And we want to tell our listeners where they can find you for yeah, your wanted... music and for your life coaching. Yeah. I wanted to ask if you are taking new uh... clients. Yeah, proteges. Yep, I am. So I, um, right now I'm offering one-on-one coaching. So this is an example of focusing in one area. So right now, all I'm offering in terms of coaching is one-on-one coaching. Someday, in a different season of life, I'm hoping to do um, group coaching and online workshops and live workshops and performances and those those kinds of things. But in this moment, in this season, I'm just doing one-on-one coaching and yeah i'm taking on new and where do we find you so my coaching website is emilyrickscoaching.com um and if you want to put in the show notes i can send i can do the um that free values assessment that i have yes 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 take it um and then my my facebook is find the joy that's my page where i'm starting to post more things and doing trial and error of figuring out social media which is yes. not my favorite but I do see the benefits so anyway <laughs> there's it's very imperfect my social media mm-hmm. profile is imperfect but it's joyful so there you go <laughs> yes I'm here for it well to all of our listeners out there you can make the tough decisions you have everything inside you that you need to intentionally guide your life to your own success mm-hmm. You are strong and powerful, so stop waiting in the wings. Go out there and take the stage. In Boca Lupo. Well, I've had my days of saying life is really tough. Lost in the haze that I'll never measure up. I've told myself I don't have enough or know enough. Don't do my shoulds enough and don't look good enough. But enough's enough. Now it's time to break free from these chains of doubt and negativity. There's a light I can almost see and it's calling out to me. So I'm not looking down and I'm not looking back. Today I choose to look up and find, find the joy. So very drowning in the flood of images and voices It wears me out to have to make so many choices But I hear one that says maybe there's another way I think I'm barking up the wrong red race I've been trying so hard to swim But it's high time I learned to fly
There's no doubt it's what I'm 